Hello and welcome to the Pine of Science Ireland podcast. I'm Aneta Nagudi, and in this podcast, we're bringing you extended cuts of the science festival taking place in pubs across Ireland as part of International Pint of Science. Today, we're joined by Dr. Adrian Byrne, a fellow at CDAR, Ireland's Centre for Applied AI, and also lead researcher in the AI Ethics Centre of Idero Analytics. So, you can guess what we will be talking about today. AI. More specifically, we talk about fairness and bias in AI, how AI will be regulated, and what that means for its use in the EU. The thing that stood out to me was Dr. Byrne's hope for the opportunities that AI can bring, once, of course, it is properly regulated. This is a healthier level of skepticism that is not often seen in media. If you're interested in this topic, we also have an episode on gender bias in AI from last season with Marion Bartle. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Now, grab a pint, it's starting. I'm here with Dr. Adrian Byrne. Adrian, thank you very much for joining us on Pine of Science Ireland podcast. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are now? Sure, thanks, Aneta. So I am currently a Marie Curie Research Fellow, an award by the EU, jointly supported by CEDAR UCD, where we are now. They're my academic host, and then I have an industry partner, Idero Analytics. Together, we are working on a project that I wrote, which is to do with auditing algorithms for model explainability and bias detection. If I reverse engineer how I got here, the last qualification I have is a PhD in social statistics from the University of Manchester. It was there that I honed my skills in inequality detection, and I believe that the leap from there to now, which instead of doing inequality detection, we do bias detection. It's quite complementary. There you mentioned inequality and bias. Are they two different things? I would consider bias. I've seen this defined as such as to do with sampling, kind of scientific, the way that it's described, whereas inequality is a, is a broader concept. So inequality, in a way, it reflects inputs and outputs to processes. Inequality is something that is around us. No one person takes it on their own, but it's a collective analysis and understanding of a situation. So how unequal something is depends on people's access to resources and their ability to do things. And then bias can be a part of that, whereby if we move it into the artificial intelligence space, it's like if people want to get access to resources and do things, then bias can be something that you come up against when you want to say get a loan or get admitted to a college or go for a certain job those processes may have bias in them which may be in your favor or not in your favor depending on who you are okay so inequality in itself seems to be unfair or a negative thing whereas bias can work in your favor so harmful bias and harmful inequality is what i would target i think inequality is inevitability in the world people are designed differently and that's to be embraced so there is inequality that's not necessarily a bad thing and then there are biases out there but the one to watch out for is harmful inequality and harmful bias and the one that i focused on in my phd research was the lottery of birth so i would take a stance that and say that in a civilized decent society we should be looking to minimize the lottery of birth deciding your life chances and choices that's a worldview that i would take and then i would impose that on certain processes that you come up against later in life okay can you describe to us firstly what are ai systems in general and how can they be unfair so 
AI systems, as I see them, are essentially computer programs designed to mimic our intelligence. So they help with problem-solving, decision-making tasks. They use a lot more data than humans can typically handle themselves. So therefore, there's perceived wisdom in the insights that you can get from AI systems. The example I like to give is chess. Nowadays, the best players, they actually use AI to train, to make themselves better. We're now at the point where it's understood AI is better than any human at chess. And AI is improving all the time. So these AI systems, they're designed and some are narrow and they're getting less narrow over time. So we're going from, say, chess and Go, which is the 90s and the noughties, and now we're in the, the land of ChatGPT and generative AI. So the bounds of these systems are expanding, and that, I guess, is the great unknown. You know, it's one thing for us to take our cues when it comes to what the next move in chess, but it's another thing when we take our cues for what's the next thing we should do in other walks of life that may be more important, not just for ourselves, but for if we're making decisions on other human beings and we're subjecting them to those decisions. So because these AI systems are so general and broad, the level of unfairness is essentially unknown. Like, it could be quite unfair or very fair, but the problem is that we just don't know to what level we can expect fairness from these systems. And if there's a lot of unknowns, what are some of the risks of not considering fairness when we develop these machine learning systems and algorithms? So if we just take the status quo, what AI is attempting to do is essentially do better. So whatever we've done already, it will try to improve. And if you take the world as it is and take the past as the training environment for the AI system, we will just perpetrate the past and bring forward everything that we've already done, but we'll do it to a much greater degree. So if you were to hypothesize and say, well, we've already come from the best of all possible worlds, so we're going to create AI systems in that mold, well, then we should be perpetrating the best of all possible worlds. However, if we've come from a place of historical prejudices and underrepresentation for different groups, then without putting any constraints or adding that into to the systems, we are going to perpetrate the past, so we're going to do it to a better extent. So if I go back to the chess example, the AI system was designed on conceivably every chess game that's ever been played, and it can retain all that information better than any human can. And then it goes beyond that by once you've given it everything that you can, when you train it with reinforcement learning, it can create its own games and then reward itself, and it can basically create scenarios that we couldn't even think of, all for the purposes of winning chess, right? So that's narrowly defined, and it's not going to necessarily harm us here today. However, if its remit is broader, then it is going to take everything we can feed it and then go on to say, well, that's enough. What else is there? I've gobbled all that up. It's going to then set itself its own tasks to then keep improving learning. And the question is then, what does that look like? And does it factor in fairness and mitigate biases that are there? So from where I'm coming from, I would say we have harmful inequality to be concerned about and that if we don't bake it into our AI systems, then we are going to exacerbate in a situation that I would find currently unequal and likely to get worse. And if you take the idea that history is usually written by the winners, then AI will be designed by the winners. And without creating a more diverse, broader church of opinion and, and a greater stakeholder model rather than a shareholder model, I would be concerned that these AI systems will be in the mold of winners. And without regulation to protect the losers, then I would be concerned about the outcomes that we will see from these systems. Okay, so the real risk here is that it'll amplify existing bias and inequalities. And we already know that these biases and inequalities affect people negatively, significantly around the world. And so if you have a system which does it even more efficiently, then you can really see the risk there. And just going back to your point about having a stakeholder system versus a shareholder system, can you elaborate on what you mean by that? 
Sure. So shareholder typically refers to people that have invested in the product or the service. And so therefore, shareholders typically want returns on their investment. And what they're looking for out of the system may be profit maximization and cost minimization. Typically, if I put an economic spin on it, contrast that with a stakeholder model, which brings in people that are not necessarily investing their own money or money that they can get their hands on. They're actually end users or subjects that are being subjected to the system that's being developed. So we want to get the perspective of people like that, plus other people that may be researching on these AI systems. A stakeholder model is a broader church, basically. It's a multi-voice perspective rather than a more unified voice that's just on profit. Yeah, and actually, I think that's a very important point to bring in as a context for the rest of this is that the issue is only looking at the economic effects of certain systems. And as you say, there are many people who have invested money who may not lose money from this, but there are other aspects of society and life that stand to lose things if things are not properly regulated or if the shareholders set the the terms and conditions of these systems. There's nothing wrong with the shareholder model if we're going to go with a capitalist view of how we should organize ourselves in society. But then if we talk about terms like ethical AI and trustworthy AI, you can't convince me that the capitalist model holds. So it depends on the lens that you choose to look at the situation through. Absolutely. And you're preaching to the choir here. Definitely don't have to convince me that the capitalist system might not be the best for this. Economy is one pillar of society only looking at one for anything i think is not the right fit but specifically for this because as we said it can amplify our existing biases and inequalities is quite important so given this this whole huge burden to make sure that you don't negatively affect someone what can they do to essentially create a more fair system so there's a couple of specifics i'll draw attention to and these are things that if you don't do them you could be possibly leaning towards unfairness. And if you do them, you could be possibly leaning towards fairness. So one of the things, and I mentioned this briefly before, is the use of historical data to train the AI systems. So it's to be mindful of that data for bias and unrepresentativeness. I focus on human-centered AI applications. So these are ones where the subjects are human. Previously, they would have been affected by other humans taking the decisions exclusively, but now more and more AI is helping humans take decisions. And so that AI, if it is trained on historically biased data, that will perpetrate bias that will feed into the decision-making process. And one example I'll use in that just in the context of Ireland is that Ireland has typically been a homogenous country looking at census data going back. So predominantly white, uh, predominantly Irish, predominantly Catholic. And if Ireland is going to be using AI more and more, and we're becoming more and more multicultural now in 2023, then deploying AI that's been trained in the past may come up against not being well-calibrated and well-suited to people of today. It may be well-calibrated for being white Irish and, and potentially Catholic as well, but not people of other backgrounds and faiths. And so you should just not assume that the data is well disposed to being well calibrated for people from other backgrounds. The second thing that I want to say is that all AI systems will have features that they use, like a set of them to help predict a target of interest to make a decision. So another thing to be mindful of is that those features being correlated with sense of attributes, and I've just named a couple, so I've named uh, ethnicity, religion, can you also take sex into account? There's a whole plethora of sense of attributes that are set in law to be not discriminated against. My understanding so far is that in business, people think they're not biased because they're going about it in a way that's called fairness through unawareness. That means we do not 
use or collect data on people's sensitive attributes. Therefore, we cannot be accused of being biased. But what actually is coming out in evidence now is that the features that businesses are using in their AI systems are actually correlated with sensitive attributes. And so we're moving from just assuming that we're unbiased to you're going to have to demonstrate that you're unbiased. And in order to do that, you're going to have to roll up the sleeves and collect data on sensitive attributes, which is, is going to create a tension with legal frameworks and privacy. So this is something that is ongoing work, but we're moving the, the, the dial in terms of like this language of fairness through unawareness to fairness through awareness, where it's no longer going to be acceptable to say that, oh, we're unbiased because we don't use that data. Well, how do you know? Have you, have you checked to see that the data that you do use is not in some way correlated with sensitive attribute information? And then by unintentionally, you're discriminating against certain groups. And I will just say that most of the discrimination that is out there and will come through these AI systems is unintentional. We're not in direct discrimination, which is illegal. We're in the world of well-intentioned design, but just because the team itself is focused on one thing right here, it's not looking at broader concerns about inequality and discrimination and bias. And that's why we need more diversity, not just in terms of the data that is used, but also the teams that put these systems together. We do need more diversity that can help catch these things and think about these wider issues. So when I talk about features being correlated with sensitive attributes, the term that's used in research is called proxies. So this is where the sensitive attributes are actually imbued in the AI systems, true features that are used by the business in the decision-making models, and this is known as proxies. Okay, and that is something to be mindful of. And there's another type of proxy also that's not a good thing to watch out for, which is when an AI system is trying to predict something and it's using data to do it, it's how close the data is actually in terms of measurement to the thing that you want to get at. So if you want to say, for example, people that are risky for committing crimes, you want to make sure that the streets are safe and that, you know, r risky people are kept out of the way of people that don't want to become victims of crime. Well, that may be the thing that you want AI to help you with, but measuring that may be very difficult. So you might take something else, which is more of a proxy. And you've got to be very careful when you do that, because you take something in the best effort to capture what you're trying to measure. But in doing so, it's not that closely aligned. People are affected by this model. And if you run with it without any checks and balances, you may be putting people that shouldn't be behind bars behind bars. So that's the other form of proxy to watch out for. And the final thing I want to mention is in relation to establishing a minimum level of accuracy for everybody in every group out there. And it's a hard thing to do, but particularly in areas like healthcare, if you're training something, the quick thing to do is just run around the office and gather up some people to, to do the training data. You may even say, well, we'll get back to this and we'll do a more diverse group, but maybe you will, maybe you won't. ChatGPT, for example, in the early stages, they were using friends and colleagues to basically tell ChatGPT what was a good answer. So that starts with a handful of people in a room deciding that, oh, we think this is a good answer. Again, not a broad church. They're not trying to be mean here or anything like that. It's just that they're focusing on another aspect of the development, which is to get something up and running and to have good answers. But they relied on a handful of people. And so if I give the example of uh, the pulse oximeters, which came out during the COVID pandemic. So this was a device you could buy online. You can stick it on your finger and it gives you a readout on the estimated oxygen in your blood. OK, now it was found to be biased against darker skins because it was trained on lighter skin. Essentially, what it was doing was it was telling darker skinned people that they had more oxygen in their blood than they actually had. So this was a device that wasn't calibrated on different groups. It was mostly calibrated on one group. My stance is, in my research, is that we want to raise the bar to a certain level for all groups. And if we can't achieve that, then we must declare that. OK. So there's, there's a lot to consider there for making AI systems more fair, but it seems like the heart of it is 
A, don't assume the data you are using is unbiased. Just because it is real existing data does not mean it doesn't have that bias. And also that there should be these thresholds or minimum levels of accuracy that need to be reached by certain sectors and especially as you mentioned health because that affects the health of people but it can also be a life or death situation and so it seems like it's a question of bringing in better protocol for research so that we don't miss any significant biases or inequalities therefore we do need to bring in regulation so that brings us into the regulation side of AI and I know that there is the AI Act in the EU right now and it's not enacted but it is currently being circulated. Could you give us an overview of the AI Act, what it's doing and what it aims to achieve? So the EU AI Act aims to establish a comprehensive regulatory framework for AI systems in the European Union that is harmonized with relevant existing legislation so as to not to add to the regulatory burden of organizations already operating in the EU. The Act itself is part of a broader effort by the European Union, and I see that includes GDPR legislation, the Digital Markets Act, which has already been enacted, and the Digital Service Act, which is coming later this year and should be fully deployed by early 2024. This suite of legislation, including the AI Act, is to address the challenges posed by AI and to ensure the responsible and ethical development of AI technologies within the region, and essentially to ensure a marketplace that EU citizens can have confidence in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's currently, it's not enacted, it's being circulated and in draft form. What do you think are the key things that it should address? I do believe we need legislation in this area, but I'm also aware that the majority of the consultation was done by business interests, which tends to be the case, but public sector voices and even academic voices in civil society were in the minority. But that's who's aware of this and who has an interest in fighting for what goes in and what's taken out of the Act. There are gaps as I see it. Um, so I don't think that the Act is future-proof in terms of the dynamic nature of AI, so technology that's coming that we don't already have and we haven't seen. I think the development of ChatGPT and large language models, generative AI, is case in point, which actually highlights a weakness with trying to regulate because it looks as if the EU legislators have simply just reacted to a new technology and created a new space for ChatGPT. And I don't think you can go about it like that. It's kind of making up as you go along. I also think that it's slightly unclear who's going to supervise and enforce this act across the member states and how they're going to do that. I also think there's an issue around the regulatory sandboxing, which is supposed to be a safe space for companies to develop AI without having the burden of the regulation on them. So this is before the system is deployed in the EU marketplace. It's not clear to me how that's going to work. They have said initially that it's for the benefit of small to medium enterprises and startups, but actually I've heard that it will be dominated by big tech. The bias detection section, it's unclear to me how that would even be done. And I'm working in this area and I'm doing research. They're not very prescriptive. So what does it mean to, to show that you're unbiased? I think that it's okay not to be totally specific, but I think that the act should maybe lean upon international standards or at least say that what best practice might look like to help organizations comply in that regard. So yeah, there are gaps. I do welcome it, but I am concerned the longer this goes on that the text can change again. Until it's enacted, we don't know. Okay. I mean, this is an issue with many EU directives as they set the directive and then it's up to the individual countries to implement it 
And if there isn't enough guidance on the implementation, that's where you get these discrepancies. So once, say, it enacted, each member country would have market surveillance authorities. Is there a risk of having these AI havens where one country can have slightly a more liberal or lax interpretation of the act, allowing for less control of bias in the development of AI? Is that something that is a risk? Absolutely. I think there's two parts to this about AI havens. One is, if the resource is not there, then you can set any institution to be a market surveillance authority. But if it doesn't have the resource, then it won't have the teeth. And then, essentially, you could have an AI haven by lack of resource. It simply won't be able to do its work. I already think that these market surveillance authorities will be reactive rather than proactive. I think they will rely on journalists, academics, whistleblowers, concerned citizens to raise cases for them then to pursue. I don't think they will have enough resource to proactively monitor all the AI systems within its jurisdiction. The other thing is to have a proactive AI haven, and the one that comes to the forefront of my mind is in the UK, having just left the EU. Already, they are looking for an innovation-friendly approach to AI regulation, and there's always that potential issue of a race to the bottom when it comes to regulations and to make certain environments more attractive than others. So I think those are the two ways in which AI havens could come about. Do you think it would be better to have more national publicly funded AI systems being developed versus private system driving the development? Could that help to be more sure that there aren't hidden interests in the development of these systems? So there are use cases in the public sector. The private sector wouldn't be doing this necessarily. Like if you're in the tax office and you want to know who's compliant with tax, if you're in the welfare office and who's applying for benefit, these are very clearly public sector cases. And you can build AI systems to help you with that. But it's a different matter if you're building an AI system to compete with the private sector. I would say that in the first instance, they should stand back and see how the marketplace reacts to all this legislation coming in. Because there are firms coming in and creating solutions for this legislation that's being enacted because the incentives are usually more clearly aligned in the private sector. Individual operators can see something and go for it and create something in that space. Then the EU has the benefit of flying above and then they can just take stock of what's emerging. Okay, so having both doesn't hurt. Essentially, as you're saying, there are cases where the public system can develop AI systems for their own purposes, but they don't need to compete with the private sector because the private sector also has the innovative benefits that it provides. So I think there's a lot there to digest. This is a really important topic for people because it is so pervasive in our society. My grandmother knows the name of ChatGPT and she doesn't speak English. So I think it's important to round this up with what do you think are the main misconceptions of the work that you do? And also what kind of message do you want to send to the audience? So in terms of misconceptions, it depends on who you're asking has the misconception about what I do. But I think the biggest misconception is that some people think that I'm an ethicist because I'm working in ethical AI, but I'm not an ethicist. And I actually prefer the term trustworthy AI to ethical AI because trust is something more tangible for me as a concept. And what we're trying to do in this space is build trust and keep it. Trust is like a tangible thing, I think, that goes across boundaries and countries and people. Whereas I find ethics is quite cultural and it means different things to different people. There's one example, some scholars, they did a review of all ethical AI guidelines in the world. I think they're up to about 200 different guidelines now. No two guidelines are the same. And that's an important thing to stress. 
So I think we're trying to reduce what is called the technical debt or ethical debt, which is like this idea of move fast and break things. So we don't know what's wrong with this AI, but we're going to deploy it and find out. So our conversation today has challenged that notion of we're going to just throw things out there. And the legislation hopefully will go to reducing this ethical debt. And the last thing I want to say is what AI gives us. It gives us this great opportunity to make explicit what has been typically implicit, which is inside all of our heads, we make decisions. And do we really think about justifying how we came to the decision we came to? AI has to be coded line by line by line, and assumptions have to be made along the way. And it's going to help us explicitly address the tensions, the competing judgment values that we have, and trade-offs that we make. It's going to make these things explicit. And my hope is that it's going to make us better decision makers, and it's going to make more of us better decision makers and bring more people into the conversation as well. Okay, that's great. Actually, that's a really good point to end on because it's always good for people and society to explicitly reflect on the decisions we make. I hope that people are more optimistic about AI, but are also aware of where it could go wrong. So to end on, could you tell us where people can find you to follow the work that you do, but also where should people be reading their news on where the AI regulation is going? So I think the easiest way for people to connect with me is on LinkedIn. In terms of suggesting news sources, I'm biased in terms of where I'm based. So there's a Cedar AI News Hub, which I recommend people check out. Cedar is using AI to basically bring together all the AI news stories into one site. So you can go there for a Reader's Digest of everything to do with AI, both in Ireland and internationally. And also Itero Analytics has an AI Ethics Center, and they frequently publish news articles on different aspects of AI as we go through this journey, like in relation to the AI. I act and then aspects of how AI can hurt and promote different aspects in society. So those would be two good news sources that I would recommend. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. Dr. Adrian Byrne, thank you for joining us on Pint of Science Ireland podcast. We hope the audience has enjoyed this and you've been great at explaining this really important topic to us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Annette. That's everything for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about us or Pint of Science Ireland, follow at Pine of Science IE on Twitter and Instagram and find us wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Adrian Byrne can be found on Twitter at Adrian underscore Byrne and on LinkedIn. This podcast series is produced by Olus Productions, bringing you more on science, society and all things in between through multimedia. This episode was made with Peter Labrocki Cox on sound and editing Research assistance was also from Peter Labocki-Cox, Daniel Giffney, Molly McCrory, and a special guest researcher, Julius Hulsman. Thanks to the co-directors of Pine of Science Ireland for 2023, Ashley Gorman and Kevin Mercurio, as well as SFI. And thanks again to Dr. Adrian Byrne for joining us on this episode. Pine of Science Ireland is part of a global initiative, Pine of Science, which aims to bring the research to you, the people that fund it. We'll see you next month. This has been Aneta Nogudi.